And this is the bit I think that that chills me the most was I just remember hearing this voice say, Andrea, please don't let me die. And that was when I came out of that really tight mental focus of got to stop the bleeding to kind of suddenly hearing people are shouting and I'd heard this voice and I knew this voice and I looked up and it was my friend's son who was 13 years old. It makes me emotional because it suddenly was a huge amount of pressure. Jump in with both feet. Go big, follow your dreams. Grab life by the reins. This is how we live. We're Kelly King and Andrea Wadey, two horse trainers always looking for adventure and finding it. Join us for stories of dangerous travels, wild animals, new challenges, and in the end, always learning alongside our magnificent horses. So saddle up and follow along. You're listening to Grab Life by the Reins. I remember you telling me a story about a time that you went and thought you were just going for a relaxing walk on the beach. <laughs> yeah. And ended up saving someone's life. Yeah. That was a crazy day. That was one of those days where you really do question there being something bigger than us. Like I'm not a religious person. I'm a fairly spiritual person, but the, this day changed everything and took it to just being in awe of something bigger than ourselves, I guess. Before we go into kind of the play-by-play -play of what happened, just give us what you felt afterwards when you were coming home from this. Oh. What was going through your mind or what were, you, <laughs> what, what were you feeling? I honestly, what went through my mind was, what are you supposed to do with the rest of today? By the time it was all finished, it was maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, what do I do with the rest of my day? My husband and I looked at each other and were like, well, now what? <laughs> well, I think the first step was you probably need to get in the shower, right? Because you had yeah. quite a bit of blood on you. Yeah. Yeah, I was covered. It was crazy. I think the first thing that we did after the event, we drank tequila. I will be quite honest. At 10 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Yeah, we all congregated at the yoga studio with our friends. And Alex came out with a bottle of tequila and went, there is nothing else to do with today. <laughs> we need this. And we all went, yes, we do. And we drank a few tequilas. And I'll be honest, it kind of knocked us past the shock. And we were able to come out of ourselves and be a bit more animated and cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not a sad story. It ended okay, but, you know, it was a lot. A lot for the nervous system and the, and the mind and the body to process, for sure. And in that moment, right after, you know, hours after it happened, you still didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out. No. If it was going to be a very sad story. No, we didn't know. We were just waiting. Yeah. We were just waiting. I think exhaustion. I think we just needed to sleep. I mean, for the family, it was a million times worse. They're 
the exhaustion hadn't even begun because they had months ahead of them. But yeah. for us, it was, and and I think I think the hardest bit afterwards was everybody wanting to know. Thankfully, you know, we didn't have the full thing where we constantly had a cell phone in our hand like we do in these this day and age. I mean, I think it's probably about 12 years ago. It was while we were in Costa Rica. So tell us now how your day started and what led you to being out on the beach when this happened. So normally in the mornings, Chris would always surf. Often I would surf, but if we were going to Playa Hermosa, where we lived, I didn't really surf that beach. It was a bit of a heavier surfing spot. So Chris was going to surf. And I was going to walk the dogs on the beach like I did most mornings. And he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to surf today. I always remember it's kind of, it was rainy season. So it was like September, October, I think. Either August, September, October. I'm not one of these people that really remembers dates and like, this is the day this happened. I I don't live like that. I tend to just, each day as it comes, I'm in it. But it was rainy season and he was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to surf today, I'll come with you for a walk. And I can remember as we were going out the door, folded by the door was this sarong. And I always remember it, it was yellow with these little brown, tiny little flowers on it. And it was so pretty. And I'd bought it in a market somewhere and I hadn't worn it yet. And I thought, oh, and I picked it up. And I remember distinctly saying to Chris, I'm so glad I bought this sarong and I'm going to take it with me to the beach. And I remember thinking, that was a really weird thing to say. I'm so glad I bought it. I just thought it was a strange thing to say. Didn't think anything of it. Wrapped it around myself. I always used to just jump in the car in a bikini and go to the beach in a bikini because it's, you know, a bazillion degrees. Um, but I put the sarong around me. We got to where we usually park and we would always normally go onto the beach and head left because it was away from all of the people, not that it was a busy beach, but we'd generally go that way. And this day, Chris said, you know what? Let's change it up. Let's go right. So I said, okay, let's, let's go right. So we're walking down the beach and we're just chatting and holding hands and just having a lovely morning. And we saw someone coming in from the waves on their surfboard, just caught our attention. And surfers normally will kick out from a wave, ride the next one in on their belly or whatever, and then hop off in sort of knee deep water and walk out the water. And this didn't happen. The person on the board did something that surfers don't normally do because surfboards have fins in the bottom of the board to help turn it. What happened was the surfer came in on a wave on his belly and went all the way up onto the sand and then the wave drew back to, to the ocean and he was on dry land. And Chris distinctly said, what on earth is he doing? He's gonna wreck his surfboard. And I don't know why, but I was just staring at him and I was like, something's not right. Something's not right. How far away was he when you first saw him coming out, out of the water? Maybe a hundred meters, something like that. Maybe a bit long further. Yeah, maybe a bit further, maybe 200 meters. And I remember seeing him stand up and I thought I heard shouting and he just didn't look right. And growing up with horses, body language is a real focus for me. And I was like, something's not right. And I just started running. And Chris said to me, 
what are you doing? I'm like, he's hurt himself. He's like, he's fine. Don't be a lunatic. What are you doing? I'm like, something's not right. And then it became apparent to Chris as well that something was not right. And the beach was pretty much deserted. And we could hear him yelling and yelling and yelling. So we ran towards him. And as we got closer and closer, we could see he was really badly injured. Um, and that, well, I won't be too graphic, but a large part of his lower leg was no longer attached to his leg. It was lying in the sand. Um, it was really bad. And he was shouting, I've been attacked by a shark. Immediately seemed really unusual because whilst there are a lot of sharks in Costa Rica, it's very, very, very rare to ever hear of anyone being attacked by one. Anyway, we ran in. I didn't even look at who it was. I was just focusing on the leg and knew that we needed to stop the bleeding because it was bleeding really bad. And I had the sarong and you know, I grew up in surf club in England. I know a lot of people listening are like, surf club in England? Yeah, we're an island in the Atlantic. We have really good surf. And we had surf life saving club, just like they do in Australia and all those places. So I knew I needed to get a tourniquet on his leg. And I had my sarong, which normally I wouldn't have had. I could have used the leg rope from the surfboard, but I was focusing on the sarong, but I couldn't rip it. And Chris had scooped up the person to stop them collapsing into the sand because rightly so, he's thinking we don't need sand packed into this massive wound. I couldn't rip the sarong. And Chris was, you know, not yelling at me in a bad way, just going, get it ripped, get it ripped. I said, I can't, I can't rip it. And I remember distinctly saying to myself, if there's a God up there now, I need you right now. I need help now and there's no one around. Suddenly there was a voice right behind me. Turned out in years to come, he would be my neighbor. But there was this man who I'd seen around a few times and he just appeared at my shoulder and he said, can I help? And he was the man that ran the Christian surfers chapter in Costa Rica where we were from. And I remember thinking, my God, he must have a direct line or something to God because he's just come up out the sand in my opinion. Obviously, he'd seen us and come down um, and he was able to tie it off. But just before he came to help, and this is the bit I think that, that chills me the most, was I just remember hearing this voice say, Andrea, please don't let me die. And that was when I came out of that really tight mental focus of got to stop the bleeding to kind of suddenly hearing people are shouting and I'd heard this voice and I knew this voice and I looked up and it was my friend's son who was 13 years old. It makes me emotional because it suddenly was a huge amount of pressure that I knew this person. It would have been easier if I didn't, I think. Anyway, the boys took over and I knew we needed a car. And in Costa Rica, you know, you ring an ambulance, it's maybe going to come, it's maybe not going to come. We didn't have time to ring an ambulance. And that was kind of a, by now there was our friend, Alex, myself, Doug from Christian Surfers and Chris, and we were just together and they were like, get the car. And I looked and my car was too far away. I'd walk too far to get it. And Alex's car was too far the other way. But I could see this car coming down the road because there was a, a beach road that ran right behind the, the sand. 
and there was this car coming. So I just made a beeline for it, intercepted it by <laughs> throwing myself across the front of the car, stopped the car. And these poor people, I didn't think to tell them what had happened. I just ran around, started opening the back doors. I think they thought they were getting carjacked. They were just like, what the F-bomb are you doing? And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was putting seats down and everything <laughs> in this car. It's really comical, but they were just like, what are you doing? And I, I just pointed. And at that point, Chris and Alex and Doug had got the boy up to the side of the road. And I just pointed. I couldn't use words. I just pointed and they were like, whatever you need, whatever you need. And really, at this point, we should bring Chris in, my husband, because he can tell us his perspective. You started loading him in the car, didn't you, Chris? Yeah, basically, we'd, we'd got his leg wrapped up in a, in a beach towel because the, it was kind of holding it all together. Um, he had his tourniquet on. And it was at this point that a few other people were gathering around. And I always remember there was this woman just screaming and screaming and screaming. And we were just like, get her away. Like, if you're not part of the solution, you are a giant part of the problem. So go away. And thankfully, this boy had grown up in a competitive uh, motocross lifestyle. His father was a really good motocross professional motorbike rider. And he'd been taught, if you get hurt, you lock on to whoever is going to get you out of this problem. So he'd really locked on to my husband and Alex. So we basically loaded this poor lad into the back of the car um, and we all jumped in and just sort of like drive, drive, drive. And he, um, he was basically really not being very cohesive at all so I'm just kept looking at him and kept sort of saying just stay with me mate stay with me keep looking at me um, you know don't go to sleep you know it, we won't be long you know we'll have you into the clinic and all, all of these kind of things and they all just looked at me and said go and get his parents and they just drove off because they had to they had to go he, we, he was now starting to go into shock and come in and out of consciousness a little bit and they just drove away and I was just left standing by the side of the road going, oh, my God. Uh, we were literally about halfway in there when we suddenly realised that the poor couple that were driving us in, they were actually on their honeymoon. And, yeah, we were, we were giving them a hell of a day. But anyway, so we were driving on in there and the poor lad was doing the very best he could. He was driving like a rally driver. We had one near miss overtaking a car with a Mack truck coming the other way. And we were like, well, we need to all calm down a minute because we need to actually make it here alive. He was stoic as um, for a young lad. He was taking it all in his stride. I can't even imagine how much it was hurting to him. So his parents, I jumped in the car. They lived right at the top of the mountain up this really, really sketchy road that I didn't even like driving up. It was horrible homemade like mountain road so I just got it in first gear and floored it all the way up there and I remember looking down at myself and going oh my god I'm going to their house I'm wearing a bikini and I'm pretty much covered in blood it had gone everywhere and um, I was trying to wipe it off I remember that 
they owned several properties up on that road and there was the dad on the side of the road. And he's looking at me like, what is this woman doing? Her engine is screaming because I hadn't changed gear. <laughs> I'd like was just rev, revved up going up the mountain. And he, he saw me and went, what are you doing? You're going to blow up your engine. And I was like, you know, there's been an accident and it's bad. I'm quite a pragmatic person. I thought there's no point in saying this has happened, but don't worry, everything's going to be all right, because I wasn't sure it was. And the sense of urgency kind of needed to be conveyed. So he jumped on his motorbike and went down the hill and said, go and get my wife. So I drove to the house and I remember beeping the horn and... Um, she came out and she's just, she's such a beautiful person. She was like, hey, yay, you've come to hang out. And I was, I couldn't speak. And I, I was just had this real sense of, I am about to blow your world to pieces. And I have this knowledge. And right at this second, you don't. And it was, it just felt so horrible that I had that knowledge. And I had to tell her and I remember she started swaying and I thought, oh my God. And then she is such a badass. She just kicked in and was like, let's go get in the car. So we got in the car and we drove straight to the clinic where they were taking him. We were yelling at cars out the window to get out of our way. And oh, it was just crazy. And then we got to the clinic and he was already in with the doctors. More chaos ensued because they wanted to take him by ambulance up to the main city. Um, because he needed, obviously, he was losing a lot of blood and, and all of these kind of things. They were no way equipped to deal with what had happened. And they wanted to drive him and they're like, no, we want a helicopter, we will pay, we'll get a helicopter, we'll medivac him up there. There was just utter chaos and then there was massive arguments going on. Eventually, they ended up taking him out in an ambulance because they didn't have time to wait and they were going to take him off to the local hospital where he could get a blood transfusion. Um, by this point, the doctor had established that he'd actually been attacked by a crocodile, not a shark. And how did he know? Something to do with the bite. And also, I seem to remember one of the other surfers had been shouting at the beach. It was a crocodile. I saw it. I, I, it was in the lineup, which from time to time did happen, especially in rainy season because they would get washed out the rivers or come into the ocean to warm up a bit but their vision was not so good in the salt water because they were from the river. But no one had ever been attacked before. But actually there's a piece to this that made me think of the story about your father and your father's cousin having a catastrophic motorbike accident one year apart. It turned out that someone got, and I can't remember exactly, but someone got attacked again by a crocodile on the same date a year or two years later. Wow. Different beach, but exactly the same day. Kind of blew everyone's mind. Now, will crocodiles, will they actually attack out in open water like that? Or was it a, a case of wrong place, wrong time? Someone, you know. I wouldn't like to hedge a bet that they would never attack, but they have a bite reflex. A friend of ours, Jose, is an expert in crocodiles. And he, what he believed happened was that the boy was surfing on the wave, kicked out, dropped into the water, 
happened to land next to the crocodile and it bit. It's just a reflex. If something splashes beside them, they'll turn and snap and got him. And he told us afterwards that he could tell, he, he confirmed that he thought afterwards that it was a crocodile because it tried to pull him under, which is what they will do and then they'll spin you. And it tried to pull him down, but thankfully he was really, really smart and he wrapped his arms around his surfboard, probably instinctually, but he did. And that made him so much heavier that I think it thought it was too big. And it had hold of his lower leg and was trying to bring him down, but the buoyancy from the board meant he let go. And then he let go and a wave just came and took him and ran him up the beach. So he was really locked on to... To you specifically, like in that car and when you were driving to the hospital? Yeah, entirely. I mean, bless him. I think because he comes from a family there, his dad was a motocross rider and he's in a very, very adventurous kind of kid. I think thanks to him, he knew that he was kind of handing off a responsibility to someone to look after him. And because he sort of vaguely knew me and because literally from where I was sitting in the car, he was just staring at me the whole time and I just kept saying, you know, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Just stay with me. And, and, he, and he kept sort of like, obviously, the adrenaline was wearing off of him and he started shutting his eyes. And, and I kept sort of saying, don't don't shut your eyes. Just just keep looking at me, mate. All the time you look at me, I can make everything all right. But just if you shut your eyes, you're on your own, mate. So just stay with me. And he was just literally staring at me the whole way in. It was quite a quite a haunting look from a young lad that's. That, that, that knows the kind of trouble that he's in. Yeah. But utter testament to the lad that, um, that he was calm and collected and resigned to the fact that we were doing everything we could for him and he just had to stay with us and, 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 and literally, yeah, yeah, do as he was told and, and we were going to look after him because a lot of other kids would have been panicking and screaming and shouting and that would have made the situation literally a million times worse. But... Um, yeah, no, he was a stoic lad. He really mm. was. And that and that certainly went in his favor. There's no doubt about that. And what did it feel like to you having him focused on you and knowing how that much that was helping him when then the doctors made everyone leave? It made you leave. Well, it was terrifying to me that he was looking at me, expecting me, I suppose you could say, save his life. I never really thought that I was saving his life because I think only because I didn't dare ever think that. My my conscious my subconscious mind knew exactly that the the, he the, was in the situation sure. that we were in. Mm. There's no doubt about that. But and then when the guy was kicking us out, I mean, you see it on every TV movie where doctors throw everyone out so they can get on and do what they got to do. So that's kind of what happens, and you step out and you do what you got to do. But this was one one fairly young doctor in a very small town doctor's clinic. You know, it wasn't like you're walking into the major trauma unit of some massive ho you know, hospital in some huge, you know, city where everything's at hand. So, so being thrown out, I mean, I just remember sort of saying to him, you're in great hands now, you're going to be fine. And, and, and then we were literally manhandled, pushed out the door. And as we were coming out the door, there were nurses running in, bringing, you know, bandages and swabs and all of the stuff. It never really, to be honest, it never really dawned on me that we should have stayed with him. And it wasn't until afterwards that we were told that he nearly went into 
into like a, a really bad shock that it really dawned on us that we should have actually put our foot down and said, no, we're not, we're going to stay here with him. You just do what you got to do in these situations, don't you, really, at the end of the day. As he drove out and the, and the stillness yeah. ensued, um, we had been all running on adrenaline and, and like, you know, doing what you got to do to get through these kind of things. And literally two minutes after the ambulance drove out, we we all just literally slid down the wall. Yeah, our legs just went out from underneath us, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. and it's like, you know, what do you do after you've done something like that in the morning? It was a strange old feeling when it all goes quiet. I wanted to just take a break in recording to tell you about my book. Crossing Bridges is about my journey coast to coast in Costa Rica with my friends and rescue horses. This was life-changing, life-affirming, and made me rethink what horses were capable of. Crossing Bridges. It's a great read. I hope you enjoy it. But when we saw him leave in the ambulance, we didn't know whether we'd see him again. And we were all super focused and super calm until the minute that ambulance left. I didn't pass out, but I just had nothing left in my nervous system to cope with it. And all the strength went out of my legs and kind of really makes me appreciate how incredible our bodies are, that my body just took over and went, you've done what you needed to do. You have to stop right now. And I just slid to the floor and I stayed there for a good 20 minutes, I think, before I could move. But it turned out okay. He had 13 operations, I think, on his leg. They grafted new nerves. I don't know what the actual terminology is, but he's gone on to lead a fantastic life. And yeah, it was one of those ones that community came together. The right people were where they were meant to be for whatever reason at that time. And I was just glad we could help. Yeah, we never know which direction our day is going to go when we walk out that door. And I think that that's true for anywhere, but it seems to happen with a higher likelihood in Latin America and in, in places in the yeah. world where there's just not the same infrastructure and also in, well, in activities like surfing, there's more risk. And for us as riders, you know, we do things where there's risk. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you throw wild animals in the mix. And I don't think anyone, in, certainly in Costa Rica, they wouldn't have it any other way. They truly wouldn't. You know, those crocodiles are where they're meant to be. The sharks are where they're meant to be. We are in their playground. Yeah. The young man who got attacked, he probably doesn't realize this, but he will always have a piece of me, a piece of my heart. You mentioned that this happened when he was 13. He, yes, I think he was 13. And we've both had really big things happen at age 13. Yeah, how interesting is that? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing about life is that there's so much that we don't understand and that I think in this human realm, we won't understand why things happen, what's random, what's not. It's just, it's too big. And I think that's the challenge in trying to assign meaning to everything yeah. or pretend that we've got it figured out. Or yeah. even worse, as you mentioned, telling someone else, trying to explain to someone else 
why it might have happened. It's just, it's big. And, and accepting that level of we don't know, but we just keep flowing through life and show up in each moment the best we can. I completely agree. And I think sometimes you can assign too much meaning. I can remember one instance where someone had got injured with a horse. They'd got run over by the horse leading it or I can't remember what happened, but they their face was battered. And I can remember an instructor saying, whatever happened in your life was due to how calm you were or how calm you weren't. And the woman was putting the blame on herself. Well, clearly this happened because I was not calm enough. And it's like, I just think sometimes things happen and it's not your fault that things happen. They just do, but it's what you do afterwards that counts. Yeah, and you mentioned the woman who was screaming and how in, in, in situations like that, when something bad goes down, people can react in so many different ways. Yeah. I remember when I was driving with two friends in Mexico and we were also surfing. We were going from one beach and we were driving at night. We were going to camp and then surf in the morning at another beach. And we came across a man who had just wrecked on his motorcycle. And he, the motorcycle was down. We couldn't tell what happened because it was a fairly straight stretch of road. But the motorcycle was down. The man was laying on the road. Oh, and we immediately stopped. He was just coming back to consciousness as we stopped. So we also didn't know how long ago it had happened. But the two people that I were with both lost it. I mean, they were like kind of the equivalent of running in circles and yelling. And this was also soon after I moved to Mexico. So my language skills, it's hard enough for me, you know, communicating in those kind of situations when everyone's emotions are high in my second language in, in English I'm good, but, but there's several scenarios. It's one, when there's the language barrier and two, being in a place where I don't know the culture and where I'm the person outside of the culture, because we were, we were the first on the scene. We went over the guys just coming to consciousness. Um, they were, they were trying to communicate to him, but in such a frantic way that it was only, you know, not helping, not helping at all. And I didn't have the communication skills and there was too much noise to even be able to. And in those situations, it was really challenging for me because I know what to do, you know, stabilize him. Sure. Where does he have, yeah. where does he have sensation? Like speak calmly, help him as he's coming back. Cause I also know that feeling of coming back to consciousness mm -hmm. after an accident. It's extremely disorienting. Especially if everyone's screaming. More people started arriving then, you know, that had been on the road that were passing and then started stopping. And it ended up with like 12 people, everyone yelling different instructions and different reasons. And I think he was drunk and I think it was this and this and pulling his helmet off, which is oh my gosh, the worst thing to yeah, do when there's totally chaotic. someone laying in unknown injuries and then uh, carrying him and putting him in the back of a car. And off he goes. So I don't know the outcome of, of the yeah. story. I don't know what happened, but it was, it was really challenging for me to watch because I had so much empathy to this man's state and not knowing what his injuries were, what severity they were. 
and just having that utter chaos. Oh, so yeah. I think of this with the story of the boy that you that you helped, that you saved his life. And it is so good for him in that situation that you and Chris and the other people there were able to we're keep calm. that sense of calm. Yeah. And we were able to, you know, see what was there, assess it, act, respond. Yeah. And not get caught up in the emotion of it. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Because I assumed everyone would respond the same way that we did. And afterwards, people go, oh, I don't know how you did it. And frankly, I found that all really awkward. Like, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I certainly didn't want people, you know, giving us a giant pat on the back. It's like it, it was awkward and I just didn't want to talk about it. It was really upsetting. I was just like, leave us alone, please. But people are like, oh, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Well, yeah, of course you would. And then, but I've learned as time's gone on, actually a lot of people freeze. And, you know, we know in with horses, fight, flight, or freeze. It's, it's a way that humans and animals cope with life, but it just didn't feel to me like that there was a choice. But I am grateful that I can be calm in situations like that and, and knew what we could do to help. But it does make you think, gosh, I hope if anything ever happens to me, there's someone around who doesn't panic and scream and lose their head. Yeah. I think for us, being with horses and riding our whole lives yeah. is a huge asset in that yeah. way because we've both been in situations on both ends, you know, being yeah. a person that's needing to respond, whether it is a horse or another animal that's in trouble yeah. or whether it's another person or whether it's us who's in trouble and needing the help, we've been there and yeah. we know how to go into that, okay, things are bad, but I'm just doing what needs to be done yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. I think growing up where we did as well in Cornwall, like by the sea, things happened. Lots of really great things happened, but there were accidents from time to time. And we were always as kids, we were in surf life saving clubs. So we did our first aid. We did rescues with the lifeguards. We were on hand to watch that and assist. And I think it was a really great thing to be able to do that because if you can do it young enough then it's kind of a blueprint of how you react when there is something in life but the story turned out good he's well and I'm really really grateful for that and that we were able to help him but yeah it was it was quite the day <laughs> yes yes thank you everyone we will see you on the next show I hope that you have a wonderful day and keep going for it keep living for your dreams you never know what's going to happen so even in the worst of times it's one foot in front of the other finding a sense of humor maybe taking a shot of tequila yeah, when you need to <laughs> and life goes on it does indeed thanks everyone thank you for listening to grab life by the reins if you want to see ridiculous photos from our adventures, be the first to know when we release new episodes and be a part of more shenanigans, join our email family at grablifebytherains.com. We'll see you in the next program. <laughs>